Welcome to the second episode of Sign the Board, Phil, the darts podcast brought to you by BlackType.bet. I'm Andy Dawson, and I've got a three-dan triple-decker sandwich for you today, as I'm joined by Dan Dawson, Dan Waddell, and Daniel Harris. All that and much, much more on episode two of Sign the Board, Phil, the podcast that puts darts deep inside your ears, but without the urgent need to visit an accident and emergency unit when we're finished. Dan! 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 Thanks for joining me here on Sign the Board, Phil. Episode 2, the, uh, the PDC World Championships is now almost a week into its um, three-week reign of terror. Um, so we'll be looking at that shortly. Um, in the meantime, if you register with blacktype.bet on their website uh, using the link that you can find in our Twitter handle, which is at sign the board. If you go on there and click on the link and register at blacktype.bet, you can get the chance to win one of three custom designed dart shirts that you can design yourself. It's in association with Harlequin Teamwear. You can put your name on it, you can put your team's name on it, you can put a motivational message on there, or a catchphrase, or even a swear word if you like. It's completely up to you if you win one. They do men's shirts, they do women's shirts. If you ask them nicely, they might do a shirt for a horse. I don't know. You can find out more about them at www.harlequinteamwear.co.uk and also if you retweet this podcast or any tweet about it on our Twitter at SignTheBoard, you could win one of three £100 free bets for the final of the PDC World Championships. Anyone who retweets the podcast is entered into that competition and the winner will be picked after the semi-finals. Okay, we're here to talk about darts, so let's crack on with the latest news. News. Joining me for the news today, I've got Dan Dawson on the line. Hello, Dan. Hello, Andy. Now, of course, for people who didn't listen to the first podcast, just can you just tell us what you are? Because you're a bit of a, um, a jack-of-all-trades in the darts world, aren't you? Yeah, I'm sort of like a, a championship-level darts commentator, and I'm covering this for the radio at the minute. So, like, anywhere from the Isle of Man to talk sport. Fantastic. And you're kind of in among it all backstage and in among the whole sort of circus, is that right? Yeah, yeah. I'm sure usually the first person in the alley, Pally, several hours before play, and then probably the last one to leave. So I see everything. Ooh, intriguing. And we've got you on here as well. Fantastic. I would say as well, you are the first of three Dans that I've got on the podcast today. So um, the, don't feel pressurised. I'm not going to tell you who the other two Dans are, but I will be naming my favourite Dan at the end of the show. So, Prestigious. Seen, no pressure. Prestig- is there a prize? Is There's, there a prize at all? Just kudos. Just curious. Okay, all right, yeah, I'll take that. But no pressure. Anyway, getting down to the darts, um, it's almost a week into the tournament already. It feels like it's flown by. Um, we've it, It's the first round, so, you know, there hasn't been any sort of gladiatorial showdowns. It's like, it feels a bit like Volavance when what we really want is barbecue burgers and chicken drumsticks. <laughs> yeah, it, it, all the big names are winning. That's the thing. They've just all come through. Some of them easily, some of them with a, a little bit more trouble. But the thing is, it's going to get very, very tasty very, very quickly because all of those guys, you know, Taylor, Lewis, Wright, Anderson, MVG, Whitlock, Barney, they've, they've all come through. And so they're all set for a collision course. We would quite like to see, I think, at least some shocks, somebody who's going to make you sit up and pay attention and go, oh, I hadn't really considered him as a, as a potential threat. Um, but, you know, as things stand, all the big names are getting the job done. They are. I think there's only just Stephen Bunting that's gone out so far out of the sort of top 16, really, isn't there? Yeah, and, and that was to Darren Webster, who's just come off the back of his first big TV semi-final. Webster, um, Webster's playing some really good darts, and he's, he's despite the fact he's like a granddad, 
and he's you know been around for ages he seems like he, he sort of trained himself he, he gave me some quote the other day going i fear no man taller than me and that's everybody like so he actually believes he can he can beat everyone like it's actually quite a job he's six nil up to mvg in minor in the semi-finals and he's managed to lose it but <laughs> yeah he fancies another crack at him he was he's got nothing to fear at all has he once you once you've been in that lofty position you know anything's possible so, yeah, exactly, exactly. Um, so, so yeah, Bunting's probably the biggest name to go. But then again, you know, against Darren Webster, was it really that much of a shock? I thought he was vulnerable anyway with Webster yeah. playing so well. But yeah, we haven't seen a massive, massive shock as yet. I think we will do. Like you say, I think we will do, and probably in round two, I think one or two of the big names will probably go. Yeah, because um, yeah, I think I think you're probably right. It, 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 it's 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 unlikely we go through the whole tournament without. Something strange happening. Yeah, out of the um, out of, not out of the big names, but out of the other players that have come through round one, is there anybody who's giving off a vibe of sort of super confidence? Anyone caught your eye as being a potential, you know, someone who can barnstorm their way through in the, the quarters or the semis? Uh, well, I, I quite like the look of Gurney. I've got to say, and with the way the draw is, he's in the same quarter of the draw as, Dar- uh, as Michael Van Gerwen, but. Gurney was was really good and confident and looked solid um, and he, he, we know he's he's on an upward curve. He's he's an exciting player. Um, Webster obviously played well, although to be fair, he did survive like seven match darts from Bunting. Um, and then in terms of the other guys, I mean, it's probably the big names, the ones who've won quite convincingly. You know, Wright looked good, uh, Taylor looked good, uh, Van Gerwen obviously looked good. So and, and Joe Cullen, Joe Cullen was the other one who had an incredible game with Corey Cadby, and, and after seven years of trying, Joe Cullen has finally won a game at Ali Pali. Yeah, I, th- I mean, I think Cullen was fantastic in that match because all the all the eyes were on Corey Cadby, mm. um, obviously with Corey being the king, um, as he calls himself. But now the king is dead and is going to have to go home for Christmas. Yeah. Uh, but but to be fair, because, because Cadby came out of the blocks. You know, flying in that match. I think he was averaging 109 after the first set, was it? Yeah, it, it, but to be fair, both of them were averaging 109, 110 halfway through the game. It was wicked. I mean, the best thing was, though, it, it was just the attitude it was played with. Cadby does does not care. He doesn't care who you are. Um, I mean, he doesn't care about anything. He, he, he's a 21-year-old who dyes his hair black. He looked like <laughs> a goth cockerel. Yeah. It was weird. Um but he decided that was a really good idea. But he does not care what anybody thinks. So he, he's going to rub people up the wrong way. Cadby, I think Cadby's going to be big, really big, uh, if he carries on. But Cullen didn't. Cullen was just giving him evils. He was strutting about. There were there was all sorts of stuff going on. At the end, they had a bit of a hug. I was hoping they, I was hoping there was going to be a like, proper needle. Um, but there seemed a bit of respect at the end. But all the way through that four set, it was top quality strutting about. It was proper toe-to-toe stuff, wasn't it? It was. It was yeah, a yeah, fantastic really match. Good. <clears throat> and um, I mean, I, I, I said on Twitter during that, says we are now in the the Corey Cadby era. <laughs> even, even though, even though he lost and he's gone home in round one, we are yeah. still in the Corey Cadby era because he's not going anywhere. He's going to be back and he's going to get better and better, and he's gonna uh, he's gonna enhance darts. So oh, totally. More, more, oh, than, I think he, more than any sort of new figure to come through probably since MVG, possibly? I, he could do. I mean, look, it's early days. I mean, to be fair, he's played, he's won one game at the World Championship, which, which was a preliminary round game against a bloke who fell over the hockey when he walked up on stage. Yeah. Uh, Kiang Sun, the Chinese bloke, the bloke who missed the board entirely last year. <laughs> yeah. Um, started even worse this year when he tripped up and fell on his face. He nearly took out one of the dancing girls. <laughs> um, it, it, it was ridiculous um, and it didn't really get much better for him because Cadby just smashed him all over the place but Cadby alright he's won one game on the big stage he is the world youth champion he did beat Taylor in Australia but I, I've seen enough to suggest this lad can do do all sorts in this game and believe it or not he's an Australian that thinks he's brilliant and that actually helps you know, having confidence yeah. I think I really he's got to go to Q school so he's got to qualify he's got to go to like Wigan in a leisure centre to, for the right to be able to play in the PDC, even though he's done all this stuff. Um, but I think he'll do it, and I think he's going to be big. And I wouldn't be surprised if you see him like the match play next year. I wouldn't be surprised if you actually see him in the Premier League either 2018 or 2019. I think he could be that good. Yeah, I mean, he probably won't become the best in the world, but he's going to be there or thereabouts, and he's going to be a, a really sort of fascinating 
figure and character to, to bring a bit more spice into it. Not that it's lacking in spice anyway, but you know, it's, it's, nah, it's but you a want welcome it addition. Fresh, don't you? Yeah, yeah. But you want you want something new. Yeah, and we haven't really got much of a, a villain at the minute. You haven't got anybody like since Manly left, who's just <laughs> going to go out there and really just annoy people. And Cadby is really going to annoy people because he does not care who they are. Um, he really wants a crack at MVG. He really wants another crack at Taylor. Um, I, I, I'm just fascinated to see what he does over the next 12 months. He might look. He might turn out to be, you know, a flash in the pan. He might sort of fade away. He might have all sorts of problems. He's got to move over from Australia, and that's that's a big thing. I mean, at the minute when he's coming over here, he's staying in Birmingham, around where I am, and uh, I don't think he, you know, he he might, he might not like it. I, mean, I don't know he, why, but he might. Is he going to have to get a um, job in a walkabout as well? Because that's yeah, kind of what yeah, yeah, exactly. As, yeah, as is as I, I believe is the law for <laughs> any Australians who come over. Yeah, it's um, but yeah, we'll we'll see we'll see how he does. But I'll tell you what, I've not been as excited about a new player within a very short space of seeing him for for a long, long time. Okay, I completely concur with that. Um, getting back to Phil Taylor, we mentioned there briefly. Mm. <laughs> Phil came through his first match with flying colours, and he, he seems super confident. Um, he says he's got a, a secret. He says he's doing something <laughs> different, uh, yeah. but he's not prepared to tell anybody what it is. No, uh, he, that... he's told everybody. He did about like six interviews, and he goes, <laughs> I'm doing something different. What is it, Phil? Not telling you. Oh, right. Well, th- thanks for that. Thanks for that. To be fair, I'm not sure I want to know because I remember one year when he won the match play and I was interviewing him and he, it, the, the secret then he put it down to was he went to Portugal, drank a load of fruit juice and had colonic irrigation. And then I thought, oh. I I'm not sure I wanted to know that. Um, oh, God. I know, I know. Um, and then I just basically went and like bleached me microphone and tried to forget about it. rocked back and forth in the shower and tried to forget about it ladies um, and gentlemen, but yeah hopefully it's nothing along those lines ladies and gentlemen please try to remove that image from your mind now because I'm not going to remove it from the podcast it's, it's, it's warts and all this stuff I'm not removing that I mean I've had a few theories about what he might be up to I thought perhaps he's sleeping in the wardrobe or maybe he's in an open coffin um, okay. I've Options. I, I thought possibly he might be soaking his throwing hand in snake milk every night, you know, just to give it a, a bit of extra latency or, or, or whatever. Um, who knows? Perhaps he's even playing commando style. Oh, that, it gets worse, doesn't it? I mean, it's, oh. it's not as bad as colonic irrigation, but it's it's a it's a it's a mental <laughs> image that we don't want to sort of dwell on too no. much, is it? Well, yeah. Oh, oh. So oh, the, 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 there's no whispers backstage about what Phil might be doing differently then. No, not, nothing that I've heard. I mean, he just he just gone and thrown... I mean, he might be doing absolutely nothing. He might yeah. be some silly game that yeah. Taylor got. Oh, I'm doing something. What is it? Not telling you. He's not doing anything. He might not be yeah. doing anything at all. That might would, not be doing anything at all. That would be exactly my first choice if I was going to sort of guess what, what's he doing differently. Nothing. He's just winding yeah. people up. Yeah. It's yeah, easy. Yeah, that could well be it. Just, just to amuse himself. Completely. So I've got one question about the sort of backstage area. Um mm. Dan, what does it smell like? Does it smell nice? Back, you know, backstage is all right, but there's honestly they they put a carpet down in the main hall, which I think is taken out and burned at the end of the tournament. <laughs> um, but when you get there, like several hours before play, it they, there's just this sort of smell of vinegar and stale beer, and mm. it, it's not that pleasant. When everybody gets in there, it's fine. It just you know the the, the smell of Fresh beer overtakes it, <laughs> but yeah, the, the afternoon there is there is a particular stench that uh, that is completely specific to Ali Pally at this time of year. Um, but backstage, no, backstage is lovely. It's it's basically like rose petals and lemongrass and yeah. journalists from the mirror. That's kind of what I thought it would be. A lot of potpourri. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, of, yeah of... basically that. Beautiful fragrances to counteract all those, all those men and their testosterone. <laughs> Is there anything else we've missed that you want to mention that, that's happened in the first week before we go? Uh, I'm trying to think. You know, I'm not sure there is. We've we pretty much covered all the big boys, really. Tengu Shah, he was good. He was the bloke from Malaysia who looked like Dennis Priestley. Oh, yeah. Um, and he won in his prelim. And then he actually, actually that was nearly the biggest shock because Benito Vanderpass was in all kinds of trouble against him. But Tengu Shah, who, somebody was telling me, like, he. He's like Malaysia's version of like his royal family or yeah. something. He's he's a genuine 
like relative of I don't know the <laughs> king of Malaysia. I'm not really okay with how Malaysia works. Um, but yeah, he looked like Dennis Priestley. He was quite, and he had a big saber tooth tiger across the back of his shirt. Yeah. I like Tangu Shah. He's one of my new favourite players. We like all that stuff. We'll get him back again, hopefully. Um, out of everything that's happened so far, I thought um, RVB last night was pretty good. Oh no, he was superb, superb, and he looks focused. He's yeah. Um, he was also saying like last year, it was his his grandson was born, Mason. And he put that down to inspiring him to go in and beat an MVG uh, in that incredible game. Yeah. And the thing is, the, the, it's it's like some sort of power up for Barney because he's playing again on his grandson's birthday, and it's just made him. He's he's really excited about it. He's like, oh, I can't wait to go and play Alan Norris. It's on my grandson's birthday. He's just going to give me so much energy and everything like that. It, it is like it's like Super Mario eating a mushroom. He feels like about <laughs> five times bigger. And the thing is, it, it, it's kind of an unfair advantage because Barney. You know, at times he's had a real sort of poppadom psyche, and he just crumbles. You know, for no reason, he just starts shaking his head and not care. But when he actually starts believing in himself, he is unreal, and he was excellent last night. So, uh, look, if Barney's in the mood, he could go and be Norris, Lewis, Taylor, MVG, Anderson, which could be his route, um, which is pretty difficult, but. When he starts believing in himself, anything could happen. It's actually he's pretty exciting to see Barney in this kind of mood. That'd be lovely because everyone loves Barney. It's impossible not to love Barney, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. He, he is great when he when he's trying, when he's bothered. I mean, sometimes I, I do wonder. You know, you, you wonder how he's become so popular because sometimes he he goes on stage and does look like he wants to be there, and people are still sing his name all the time. But when he is trying, he can do stuff that other people can't, and he looks in the mood, and that's really really exciting if he's going to play like that through the tournament. Definitely, definitely. Well, thanks, Dan. That's been fantastic. Um, hopefully, we'll get you on the next podcast if you're available, and we'll 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 talk about whatever's happened uh, in the subsequent week. Um, have fun and and try not to you know get too close to that carpet that you mentioned. Yeah, yeah. Or, or Phil Taylor's various or Phil health Taylor's, reasons. Uh, anus. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thanks, Dan. <laughs> Right, joining me now on the line, I've got uh, journalist and author Dan Waddell. Hello, Dan. Hi, Andy. And, uh, you know, you're a fine journalist and a fine author. I've read some of your work, but you're here on this podcast primarily because you are the son, of course, of Sid Waddell. The, um, well, that's right, son of Sid. The voice of darts. Um, so growing up with Sid as your dad, that must well, obviously that's a pretty unique um, kind of experience. Um when, when did you first become aware that your dad was a big deal on the telly? Well, it, it, it was weird, that, actually, because we, I just didn't really. I mean, he used to go away and do the darts, but I was quite, you know, when I was sort of nine or ten, it didn't really clock with me that it was, you know, he was that big a deal or darts was a bigger deal. It was just like a sideline he had. He had a day job as a TV producer. But what really broke through was when he, he wrote Josh's Giants, which I'm sure you remember uh, about Absolutely, the football yeah. programme. A football a drama about a football kids football team, and he went on Blue Peter, right, uh, with a cast. And my God, that was it was like Jesus. Sid's, yeah. Sid's actually quite a big deal. And you know, I remember going to school the next day. It was like you know, your blokes. Your dad's not just that bloke with a funny voice that does the darts on the telly. He's you know, he's he's always famous. So that was the first time he sort of cut through. But then around about that time, I, I, I went to the darts as well for the first time, 1985, to Jolly's in Stoke. Uh, and he was getting mobbed by sort of beardy, no beery fellas <laughs> with you know beards and cardigans and comb overs, and he was like, "Hang on a minute!" He, like said, in that world, then you know, in the very small world of darts, then he was a bit of a he was a bit of a star. So he that was, was a bit of an eye on the two. And did the kids kind of cheer you around the playground that, that day after he'd been on? Oh, well, it was, yeah, I yeah, yeah, got a day off being you know badgered for being a bigger. You know, the one thing is that you know. They did, They were aware I was on TV, and everybody thought I was a big head, you know, because my dad was on telly. I wasn't, obviously, but you know, so it got me a day. I got, it got me a day of being bullied. <laughs> <laughs> so you talked about first going along there in 1985 to Jolly's. Um, how old were you then? I was 12. So I mean, I remember it was. I mean, Jolly's. That was the. It was the last year of Jolly's Cabaret Club. I mean, really glamorous location next to a bus station in Stoke. You know. You know the. Uh, I remember turning, being outside, it was throwing it down with rain, you know, very cold January night with my mate Glenn, and just walking into this venue. I'd only ever seen the darts on TV. Just walked in and there was just this fog. 
of cigarette smoke <laughs> and the smell of sort of stale ale and you know he just he was it was just a dumb believable scene it, you know I was you know, from that moment on it was like right I'm coming here every single year and the roar of the crowd when Eric Bristow was playing uh, he was playing Dave Whitcomb and Eric hit 180 and there was a massive roar from the crowd it was like whoa yeah. I'm going to have some of this for the rest of my life you know so it was that was the first time and uh, yeah but I've been to pretty much every world championship world championship since then and what was it like for you and, and Glenn in terms of um, refreshments? Did you manage to sort of sneak No, up we didn't. Them? I mean, Spit was always quite liberal, it has to be said, in his approach to alcohol and, and, and underage drinking. You know, I used to, you know, he was not averse to slipping me the odd pint or two, you know, shandy first, moving on the hard stuff, maybe when I was 14. That year, though, <laughs> the, the first two years, I remember 12, they were 13 the next year, we went to Lakeside. Uh, we there was no drink. We were not. I, I, I remember distinctly not having a drink. Uh, but I do remember the first year at Lakeside making use without Sid's without Sid's permission of uh, the Blue Movie Channel in the hotel. So you know we still got our vices, uh, you know, other way. But fourteen, I remember John Lowe beating Eric Bristow in the final at Lake, the Lakeside and back of the hotel, and John Lowe bought champagne for everybody in the hotel bar, including me and and. My mates are there, another mate of mine, Simon, and we were tucking into the champagne. So that was, you know, quite a nut. That's not really the choice of drink for your average darter or darts fan. Right. Champagne, so quite, you know, atypical. But uh, it was, uh, no, that was the first. So 14, you know, I, I had to wait a while before I got stuck into the bevy. You grew up quite early, though. That's good. Oh, uh, um, yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's true. Yeah. When, um, when the, uh, the the players had the split from the BDO and they went, obviously the PDC was eventually formed, um, Sid went as well and, and became a, 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 a fixture on the um, on Sky's coverage of the yeah. Darts. Um, how did he feel about all of that? Well, he, I mean, he was torn for a few years. I mean, you know, it's, it's difficult to sort of, you know, just I keep having to re-emphasise this, but it was a really bitter split. I mean, no, I can't think of any other sport that's gone through such turmoil, inner turmoil, for so long that the darts did, and it really did. It just got very nasty. It turned, you know, friends and even families against each other. Uh, and Sid was caught in the middle as a broadcaster. He wasn't a player. He had sympathy with the players primarily, you know. Uh, but he also had forged a lot of friendships with the BDO, the British Darts Organisation. So he was really sort of torn between the two. Uh, and it, for a few years, it was really quite... A poisonous atmosphere at the darts. I mean, I never. I used to rock up with my mates and my and my family, and we'd just get on the beer, and you know, we didn't really <laughs> detect that sort of undercurrent. But Sid, you know, found it really quite difficult. And when they split the first World Championship after that, he commented for the BBC on the BDO World Championships, and he did sort of. It, it was. It did have that feeling of after the after the Lord Mayor's Fair. It just really felt like it was. You know, it wasn't right. He wasn't with the people he wanted to be with, and he made the best of it. But his his loyalty and his heart was with the players who had defected, uh, who were on Sky. So when that call came, again he was torn because he, he'd worked for the BBC all his life, or a lot of his life. You know, as well as a producer, as well as a darts commentator, yeah. very loyal man in that respect. But also he'd been made redundant from the BBC, so that when Sky came in with an offer, it was a chance for him to finally make some money out of darts because up until that point, up until 1994, it was a bit of cash cash on the hip. It never made him that much cash at all. So Sky were offering a bit of money, more tournaments. It was a no-brainer. And, it, you know, as soon as he t- rocked up at the first tournament, he just knew it was the right decision because that, it was like the band was back together. There was Jockey, there was Eric, there was John Lowe, there was all the guys a few officials that he really liked, and he knew then he made the right decision. So I don't think he ever regretted it at any stage. And, of course, now nowadays um, the, the sort of the trophy that the player for at the yeah. World Championships has been, hasn't been named after Sid, and it was you know, re, rebuilt almost um, especially. Um, how does, how does yeah. that feel, seeing that? Well, it was, and that, that was a bit of a shock. Cause, uh, it's funny because uh, Barry Hearn came uh, Sid's funeral, and he... He gave a speech and he said there, you know, we're going to name the World Championship trophy after him. But it was a bit soon, we didn't really register. It was only later in the year when the World Championships were approaching that they, they sort of rang me and said, oh, we're going to have a press launch for this 
new trophy. And I remember thinking, wow, you know, they're, they're actually going to do it. Uh, I went down to a place in London, a hotel in London, where they were unveiling it with Phil Taylor and Adrian Lewis. And there it was. This, and, and it, it, they've actually had to make it smaller because it was too big. <laughs> They'd got some marble in it. And it, I'm not kidding, it's so heavy that it was... Phil Taylor managed to lift it. I don't know how he did it. I think, he, you know, they always talk about that strength of women get their kids are trapped under a car and they all of a sudden they find the strength to lift a car. <laughs> yeah. You know, and get a kid. I think that's why if you win an international darts tournament and a cheque for £200,000, then you can lift this trophy with the... Because I, I tried to lift it and honestly, it was... <laughs> Pop and put your back out. And I think they realised word had been said. So next, I think the following year, they'd shaved a bit off because otherwise <laughs> they were going to face themselves with a major lawsuit uh, for some dark player ricking his neck or his neck in his back. So uh, you, know, you know, my dad would have loved you know the sort of that, that story. But yeah, I yeah. mean, there it is. And actually, nice fact. As, as, as trophies go, it's very, very handsome. It's you know, it's quite nice, and there's, it, 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 it's there forever. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's not going anywhere. It's too heavy. Nobody's going to nick it. Uh, you know, Sid's name is going to be <laughs> on it, and it just feels, you know, you know, we, we were all, you know, quite made up about it to be yeah. honest with you, and then pretty moved. It feels right and proper, definitely. Yeah, definitely. So you you still get along to the the World Championships every year, um, like you said earlier. Have you got any any tips for this year's tournament? Well, I, always, I mean, it's, I mean, everybody's. I mean, because Van Gerwen is a machine, and in, you know, and this year he's been unstoppable. And there is a sort of story developing that you know, Ali Pally, bit of a bogey player, even though he's won it. Uh, you know, that last year got beaten by Barney, but I can't. I think he will win it this year. I always think that Adrian Lewis is a good bet. Ali Pally, he's been in terrible form or not his best form recently, but he always seems to do well there. Last year he got to the final. I think he's always worth a few quid. Uh, and But beyond that, you know, Gary Anderson obviously has got a good chance. And Phil, but I think, you know, if, if, I, was a, if I was a betting man, beyond, looking beyond Van Gerwen or Anderson, I'd be looking at Lewis. Yeah. But I still think Van Gerwen is going to win. It looks like the, the narrative's been sort of exactly. described already, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, that's fantastic, Dan. Thanks for joining me. And, of course, you've uh, written a book about growing up with Sid as well. That's right, we we had some laughs, that's right, available from all good box shops and, and bad ones. And I've read that and I can recommend it highly, it's a fantastic book. It's not just about growing up with Sid, it's not just about, um, um, you know, father and son thing, it's about family and it's, it's a really, really good read, even if you're not into darts. Yeah, so. I, I agree. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks very much for joining us, Dan. Can I just see your, um, one of three Dans that we've got on today's podcast? Oh, there you go. He's one uh, of them, Dan Dawson. Yeah, obviously. Yeah, he gets everywhere. <laughs> I didn't want to pressure you at the beginning, but I will be naming my favourite Dan at the very end. But, um, oh well, there you go. We'll as long you. as it's not Dan Dawson, there you go. I don't mind. We'll see how you get on. <laughs> Thanks for joining me, Dan. Cheers. Cheers, man. Right, it's time for our quiz now on sign the board, Phil, and it's our darts players nickname quiz. And I'm joined on the line by Paul. Morning. Hello, Paul. How are you doing? I'm fine. How are you? I'm pretty good, thanks. Thanks for joining us today. You followed us on Twitter at um, at Sign the Board in order to enter this competition, and you were chosen at random, you lucky man. Bye. So here's how it works, right? It's going to be five questions, and I'm going to give you a darts player and three choices of what their nickname is, and you've got to tell me from those three choices which one you think it is. Now, for the first one, it's pretty easy, and you can win a £5 free bet with black type um, bet. And then the second one, you can win a tenner. The third one goes up to 25 quid. Fourth one, 50 quid. And the fifth one, the hardest one, that could win you a £100 free bet with black type. Now, at any point, you can either choose to gamble or stick with what you've got. Does that make right. sense? It does indeed. All right, Paul, here we go. First one. Nice and easy, the first one. Raymond Van Barneveld. Now, is Raymond Van Barneveld... Van, Van, Van Varnevelt. Yes, that's how you say it. Is Raymond Van Varnevelt's nickname A, Barney? Is it B, HMS RVB? Or is it C, the Great Raimondo? That'll be Barney. That'll be Barney. That's £5 for you there, Paul. Straight away. No messing about. Question two. Do you want to do question two, or do you want to stick with your fiver? Yeah, let's go for it. We're going to go for it. Right, here we go. For £10, a £10 free bet. Question two, Stephen Bunting. Now, is Stephen Bunting's nickname, is it A, Bunfight? 
Is it B, the bullet? Or is it C, cheeky chops? It's the bullet. It is indeed. It is the bullet. You've won a £10 free bet. Ooh. Um, it's getting trickier. Now, next one is for a £25 th- free bet, Paul. Are you feeling lucky? Go on, let's go for it. <laughs> okay. After all. You've lost nothing, you've won nothing, you've nothing to lose, etc., etc. I think that's what Chris Tarrant says on Millionaire. Here we go. <laughs> Number three, Robert Thornton. Is Robert Thornton's nickname, is it A, Big Daft Bob? Is it B, Sizzle Chest? Or is it C, The Thorn? He's The Thorn. He's The Thorn. He is. Correct. I thought it would have been hey. Rob, I thought it would have been Robert Sizzlechest Thornton, but no, it's not. It's the Thorn. It ought to be. It ought to be. Yeah. Question four. Now the stakes are starting to rise a little bit. It's getting trickier. How are you feeling? Are you feeling confident? Oh, so far so good. Let's give it another go. You're going to give it another go. This is for a fifty-pound free bet with black type, and the question is: What is the nickname of Darren Webster? Is it a Sally? Darren Sally Webster. <laughs> is it B, Darren Liverlips Webster? Or is it C, Darren Demolition Man Webster? I think we'll go for Demolition Man. Process of elimination there, possibly? I think so. Yeah. Correct! Hey! You've won, you've won a £50 free bet with black type. Now I then. Can feed, I can nearly feed the kids for Christmas. Almost, yeah. <laughs> Put it on a dead cert and you'll be guaranteed to win. Right, here's the last one. Question five. Now, this is for £100 free bet. Do you want to stick with your 50 quid or do you want to go up higher and go for the 100? Let's go for it. Oh! I admire your bravery, Paul. Uh-huh. It is Jelly Classen. Is Jelly Classen's nickname? Is he A, Jelly Baby Classen? Is he B, Jelly the Cobra Classen? Or C, Jelly Top of the Classen? He's the Cobra. Oh, the confidence. Effortless. Hey. You've won it. Paul, you, you've won a 100, top darts indeed. You've won a £100 free bet with black type. And it's not even what? It's not even half 10 in the morning when we're recording this. Can you well, dig it any do? better? It can't, no. It can't. You've thanks. made my Christmas handy. Thanks, Walt. It's a pleasure to do that for you. Fantastic. Thank you very much. Thanks for joining us. Cheers. Cheers. Right, my final guest joining me today on the podcast is journalist and film director Daniel Harris. Hi, Daniel. Hello. Um, before we start, um, you're a journalist. Um, who do you write for? Um, I'm a freelancer, so I write books and I write for The Guardian, Eurosport and uh, New Statesman at the moment, mainly. And mysteriously, you've also become a film director recently. and you've, um, Yeah, I wouldn't have called that particularly. I mean, I'd always <laughs> thought about that I would I always thought and hoped that I would get to write some screenplays at some point. But actually being behind the camera rather than the lonely like sat in the room on his own wasn't particularly something I ever thought would happen. But what happened was was um, I worked on Class of 92 um, that was also made by a mate of mine who um, asked me to be the football consultant. So I'm Manchester United supporter, so watched went to a lot of the games that were involved in that film. So spent a couple of days talking to the directors about things that they might want to ask about, all that kind of thing. Yeah. And then afterwards they said, um, got this idea, thought maybe we could do a darts film with your right treatment. So... Again, I didn't really know exactly how it would work out, but I wrote the treatment about what I wanted the film to be and what I thought was interesting to look at in darts and what I felt hadn't been looked at before and all of that. And um, Universal apparently really liked it, and then nothing happened. And then probably 18 months later, um, they said, go and make the film. Uh, and so I said, yeah, good. <laughs> that would be nice. And, uh, you know, that's, was, that's, that's kind of how all films get made. Yeah, is that how all films get made? You just have an idea and then someone says, yeah, go and do that. Um, sometimes, I guess, like if you, you need some kind of track record helps, but again, it's like, you've got to get that experience from somewhere. And the guys who I made the film for their first film was, they raised the money themselves from not having any money and went out and made the film without having a track record of having made any films because they haven't. So 
you can make things like that. And actually, it's probably, from my experience anyway, it's probably easier done in some ways in moving pictures than in writing words. Or at least it's easier to, uh, it's easier to make a living, probably. Yeah. So the film in question is, of course, House of Flying Arrows, which has just been released recently. Um, do you want to give us a, a sort of a quick sort of overview of what it is and what it's about? So yeah, the, the the film hangs on the progress of Michael Van Gerwen and Gary Anderson through last year's World Championships. But what it tries to do is it tries to look at darts in a way that will be engaging and fun and entertaining for whoever wants to watch it, but for people who like darts and for people who like who don't like darts and look at it in a different way so that people who people who do like darts actually feel like there's something in this. And actually, I mean, it was just hard to get all those things into an hour and a half, really. So what we do is we, we look at the mental, the mental side of darts in terms of what's actually happening when a person throws a dart. We look at why people love darts. We've got a section on pressure where we talk to various dart players and also Ronnie O'Sullivan and Alistair Cook and Will Greenwood. And then... There's a section also on the zone. And what we do is we use the different matches in that world championship to look at these different things. So Gary Anderson, for example, played one of the best games of darts I've ever seen in the semi-final against Yellow Classen last year. So that's where we look at the zone. Um, Michael Van Gerwen against Raymond Van Barneveld last year was not just the best game of darts I've ever seen, one of the best games of anything I've ever seen. Yeah. And so we, look at, we, we use that game to look at pressure. And hopefully what it does is it gives you also a history of darts and i'm aware that in some ways there's not as much history of darts there's not stories about leighton reese and and jockey wilson or that that we would maybe have liked to have and i mean we do have those stories on camera it's just that that doc has been made a lot of times yeah and in its way isn't especially cinematic so what we were trying to do was to try and take I guess we cherry-picked that. So we thought, what can't we do without? Or at least, what do we need to get the old-timers to try and... What do we want them to say that we couldn't have anyone else say? And all, So we've got a section on the split where the guys who were there take us through the split because you can't really tell the story of darts without the split. Yeah. But I guess you can tell the story of darts without some of the stories about Jockey Wilson that are great stories. But at the same time, you've only got an hour and a half and... You need to, when you're structuring the film, it's just, I guess, the same with anything. Even if you're writing something of a thousand words, pace is everything. You need to, you need to make sure that the people that are watching are with you all the time and they're not bored. And so it needs to, it, it was quite hard to, to find a way to get in everything that we wanted to get in. But so in that, when we're making those decisions, we're thinking, right, well, number one, what fits with the story? And secondly, what do we think people haven't told people before? Right. I mean, one of my favourite sections was was the, the bits with, as you said, the old timers sitting around a table, kind of telling war stories. I mean, did you, did you get hours and hours of footage from from those sessions? Yeah, yeah. I mean, they they had lunch, a long lunch, as you yeah. might imagine. And um, yeah, I mean, the fag breaks were almost as long as the lunch themselves. <laughs> before we even started talking about once they actually get, and obviously those guys like they're pros in that they've done this. They've done this a lot. And they've known each other for years, and they've got a shit ton of stories to tell. Yeah. And so watching them do that, and watching the dynamic between them, it's just I love darts. So all every aspect of making this film was a was a, a pleasure and a privilege. I know it's a cliche, but it was. Yeah. It was ridiculous. And so being there in that environment was incredible. And so what we tried to do was what we did. I explain we we did a roundtable with um, Rod Harrington, Keith Della. Eric Bristow, Bob Anderson, and uh, Bobby George. Yeah. And so what we're trying to do there was we, we had, we've got lots of people talking about why they love darts, and we've got lots of people talking about various other aspects of darts. So what we tried to do was to try and get them to tell us. I mean, we ended up, what we used was, um, we have a scene on the split with, the, with those guys. We have Sid Waddell, those guys talking about Sid Waddell, and we also have those guys talking about how do you get into darts. And the reason we picked that was, I guess, because it fit nicely. And also, it felt like those were the kind of stories that people hadn't heard before. And because they're being told by these guys, they're doing it in such a brilliantly idiosyncratic way that, yeah, I mean, I, I, I love that scene. Yeah, definitely. I could, I could have watched hours and hours of that. How about yourself? When did you first get into Dart? How old were you? Uh, I remember watching Eric Bristow, and I, think, I guess it would have been 1985. So I would have been six at that point. And if you're... 
to me, I mean, if you're a kid who likes sport, then why aren't you watching the darts? Yeah. Why aren't you watching every single... Because in those days, you've got so much time and so much space. I mean, I, I, as a kid, I watched everything. I watched football, I watched, I watched, apart from motor racing, obviously, um, because, yeah, that's not sport or anything. But I watched <laughs> football, I watched cricket, I watched snooker, I watched darts, I watched athletics. I just watched everything that I could. And I guess, like, now... I can explain to myself much better what it is specifically about the darts that I like beyond the fact that it's two blokes competing against each other at something. Yeah. Um, but I mean, yeah, I guess I grew up watching darts and I didn't grow up in a house where the darts was on. I put the telly on and discovered it for myself, I suppose that yeah. this is a great game. I mean, I should and, mention at this point, you've done a, You've written an excellent piece in the new Statesman, the current new Statesman about why you love darts and, you know, getting under the surface of it all um is that in the in the print version or is it just online i think it's online but uh i gotta say i don't know i guess okay. I, I might, um yeah but i i have my strong guess would be that it's online well if, if anyone but, wants to read that they can they can probably get a link from your twitter hand, handle which is at daniel harris is that right yeah that's it thank you okay good plug there very subtle <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah i hope you're listening serena <laughs> <laughs> so um have you got any other film projects in the pipeline, darts or otherwise? Um, I have one that I probably can't really talk about at the moment, which I would absolutely love to talk about. <laughs> I know I sound like a complete cricket. Um, yeah, lovely, etc. all of that. But um, I probably can't. But um, That's all right. At the moment, yeah, I mean, the, yeah, um, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm gabbling now. I'm going to say no more about that for now. <laughs> Not a problem. So, um, any have you got any tips for this year's World Championships? I mean, obviously everyone's saying MVG is going to win it because of the, you know the narrative. He's won all the tournaments, twenty-five tournaments this year. It, it looks yeah, inevitable. I mean, but is there anybody you think can sort of get there before him this year? I think the only person that can beat him is Gary, yeah. um, and Gary could lose to anyone. So yeah, I mean, I mean, I I say that. I mean, Raymond could. Barney could beat him as well, but Barney's got to beat. I think Barney's got to beat AD and someone else to eat, and Phil, I think, to even get to him. Yeah. Um, so I'm not sure he would beat those other people. Plus, it's hard to see him allow, him allowing himself to lose to Barney again. Yeah. Um, but I mean, Michael Van Gogh is not just the best dart player in the world. He's probably the best anything in the world. If you find me someone in the world who does anything at all better than Michael Van Gogh and plays darts. I will be amazed yeah. and excited also. Absolutely. And true. yet he ha- he's only won what he's not even got to the world finals for the last two years. So I would say that Gary, Gary on a good day could beat him. Although the last time they played in the final, he got a bit of a, Gary got a bit of a hiding in the end. Um, but you just, you just don't know if Gary plays as well as he, as he was playing in the quarter in the semifinals last year, then yeah. it's going to come down to, a very few, very few darts here and there. Yeah, but um, you just you, you just don't know with Gary. And what Gary does is Gary brilliantly managed to convince himself that he doesn't really care if he wins or he loses. Right, and it's not true. He really, really does. <laughs> but he doesn't think that he does, and that enables him to be much more relaxed when he competes. And to, the change that he's made is incredible. The guy that. The guy that misses his doubles that doesn't really doesn't appear doesn't appear to hate losing enough to not lose when he, at the key moment has somehow become the guy that peaks at the right time and it's funny because we spoke to a lot of the guys and you're like is it what's who's the best player in the world is it the number one player in the world or is it the guy that wins the world championships and more or less everyone including Gary said it's the guy who's number one in the world yeah. but to me as someone who watches darts I definitely don't think that I think it's you've got a You've got a peak to win the World Championships and then the rest is all commentary. Like when you finished, no one says how many Grand Prix did you win? How many Champions yeah. League of Darts did you win? It's how many World Titles did you win? And so I, feel, I guess snooker's the only thing that's comparable in that way is how many World Championships did you win? Although snooker's become a bit of a funny one recently because the standard at the top is so uniform that it really is. It's not like Hendry's just winning back to back to back to back or yeah. Ronnie O'Sullivan in 2004 playing the best snooker that anyone's ever seen. It's just whoever happens to be playing well in that couple of weeks. Yeah, and with, with but, darts, like Van Gerwen is, is the top boy at the moment, and he, he could go on and, and do that. He could easily win five or six in a row, but you almost don't want to see that. You want to see there being sort of proper competition at the top. It's, it's an interesting one, that, like whether a dominant champion is good or not. This is, we had, we're talking to... Um, one of the guys who worked, who worked for Sky all the way through, the Sky producer about this, and he was saying that people kept thinking, they kept thinking when Phil was winning, that 
no, like a dominant champion, it becomes too much. And actually, the more Phil won, the more people wanted to watch darts to see Phil win or to see if Phil might lose. Yeah. And it, it, it's a fine line because in any sport, really, you see it with Tiger Woods in golf or Sampras at Wimbledon, that people start thinking about what can we do to stop this guy. And eventually, it raises, it raises the standards for everyone. I mean, the Tiger Woods and Pete Sampras, they basically changed the rules. They were tiger-proofing courses because no one could hit the ball as far as he could. And um, with Pete Sampras, they're trying to slow down the courts at Wimbledon to stop him. It wasn't just, just him. It was also to make finals more exciting and not just 6-4, six, 6-4, four, six, four, six, four, to ever serve better yeah. or whatever. But um, I would say a, a dominant champion, especially when that dominant champion is Michael Van Gogh, would actually be pretty good for darts because he's just such an, an amazing figure in that, and I mean, a lot of it is to do with he looks fantastic on the camera. He also knows where the camera is, and he plays to where the camera is all right. the time, brilliantly. Yeah. Like, I mean, he. But in the end, you've got this guy who is basically a darts monster, <laughs> yeah. and I mean, a friend, a friendly monster. Yeah. He is. He's constructed by genetics and evolution, all the other things that, and obviously intelligent design as well. Um, everything that just to be amazing at throwing darts. Like there's one of my favorite bits in the film is when um, he's explaining how he throws a dart and he says he doesn't aim. So like, you what? Right. So you're, you're throwing these things with centimeter, not even square centimeter accuracy. And yeah. So I throw them on instinct and that is, I mean, I found, I found that totally mind blowing Yeah. that he just, he literally just stands there, looks at the board and hurls his darts as hard as he can at them and yeah. he chucks them as hard as he can. He says because uh, less chance that they'll deviate from the flight path, which is again, I mean, yeah, that, I guess that's probably physics. Um, but he's just constructed with being amazing at darts in mind. He's just amazingly natural. His throw the whole time is the same. It doesn't change when he misses. He's just got those two pieces. He goes back, forwards, straight, bang, yeah. and it's it's quite something to see. And in one of the things I mean noticed was that. Had I like, watched him practice a lot, watched Gary practice a lot, watched quite a lot of the guys practice. Van Gogh is amazing in practice, and none of the others are. Oh right. And I mean, obviously they're pretty good. They'd they'd, they'd beat me. Um, <laughs> I dare say they'd beat. I dare say they'd beat you as well. No offense to your darting ability. That's um, probably true. But, but but Michael is he's just he's just amazing. He's at that level, um, sort of permanently. And he chucks, them, he chucks them so fast. Yeah, he, doesn't, he doesn't really have bad days. And the yeah. difference between his dominance this year and last year is that last year, he was kind of coming from behind a lot. And I remember in the interview we did with Phil, he was, Phil was talking about pressure. And he was saying a lot of people lost to Michael. Michael won tournaments just by being him. People got ahead and they bottled it. That, apart from Darren Webster, who like, no one's really been ahead of Michael. He just, he's just absolutely wiped the floor with everyone. Yeah. Although one thing that I think is important in the world, the world championships are sets, not legs. If you play, like, he's almost unbeatable over legs because every leg counts yeah. and he doesn't really have down legs. And at some point he's going to hit a streak. And when yeah. that happens, that's going, to be, that's going to be it because he's going to win five or six legs in, on the spins and it's done. But with over sets, someone like Gary doesn't concentrate as well. Or he, he can take a couple of legs off here and there. It doesn't matter. As long as he as long as he holds his throw, he'll win. As long as he holds his throw, if he had the throw in the set, in the set, then he'll win anyway. Yeah. And and at some point he'll hit. He he only needs to hit a short streak and he'll win. And that that definitely is to Michael's disadvantage. Right. Um, he like I mean he I mean you're clutching at straws. I mean that reminds me a bit of where this is going to be a ridiculous name drop, but Kevin Peterson once told me that um, <laughs> Jack Callis, um, when, when, they were, when they were playing South Africa, they were talking about how to, how to get Jack Callis out and um, they couldn't think of anything and someone, was, someone said he was a run-out candidate early in the innings. That was, that was the best they could do was look to try and run him out. Right. Um, and it feels a bit like saying that with Michael, that it's like you're just looking at the format of the competition rather than the actual competition because if he plays well, he's pretty much... He can't be beaten. It's like trying but, to find that weakness in the Death Star, isn't it? Almost. Yeah, and, that, and that's the one of the beauties of darts. If the other guy plays better than you, nothing you can do. You can't, you can't try and sort out your formation to to ruin his strengths or anything. Yeah. The only thing you can do is put him under pressure and hope that he misses, which is what Raymond did last year. I mean, um, 
in the end, like no one, no like to be very clear, no one bottled that game. But in uh, in the last set, um, they were both under pressure, and so Michael would throw a fifty-five, and Raymond would hit one treble and throw an eighty-five, and that was that was more or less the difference. And when it comes down to that, any anyone can beat anyone, really. Uh, obviously, you'd still you'd always back Michael, but um, when it when it comes down to those vinegar strokes, um, <laughs> then it's, it's much harder. It's just you've you've, you've got to get him there. And uh, I guess Chizzy, Chizzy, Chizzy's scoring power is as almost as good as anyone's. Yeah. So definitely. if he happens to have a good day with the finishing, then there's that. And Peter yeah. Wright isn't scared and always gives him a good game, but then loses anyway. So, yeah. and he's got he's even he's got to be Gary to get to him. So. I mean, it's, there are a lot of there are a lot of great games. I mean, it does start to get really interesting, even in the next round. It's yeah, it's going to get very very tasty sort of from second round onwards, isn't it? Definitely. Um, well, thanks for that, Daniel. Uh, brilliant stuff. The film is out. I believe it's out on DVD and Blu-ray now. Yeah, and and download on uh, the various iTunes, Amazon. Uh, where else does one Where else does one download a film from? He said. I, I, uh, I have no idea. <laughs> but I tell you, no, 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 House of Flying Apple. Arrows. And you can get that as a you know if you get a, an Amazon token or something for Christmas, it's it's well worth investing in it. Are there any um, bonus features on there as well, Daniel? Yeah, there are. There's um there's a great scene that we had to cut that is um it's um it's uh, Keith Della and um and Eric Bristow talking you through the 1983 final ah. that um was that is is great. Like yeah, we didn't we didn't want to take that out. It's just. Yeah. Uh, it was hard to make it fit with the timeline of the film, basically. Yeah. And there are some there are some reconstructions that we did as well that just look look really lush. <laughs> um, <laughs> like we reconstructed the 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 twenties and the thirties of people of when people were playing darts in tap rooms. That are, oh, right. That they're also they're also there. Brilliant. One day I would like to do something with the interview we did with James Way. Right. In that we sat spoke to James Way for about an hour, and uh, he's a great bloke and. Yeah bright and articulate and i guess because he's been diagnosed with various mental illnesses like he's uh he's had to think some existential thoughts yeah yeah and the interview we did with him is i mean that itv it's like an itv sports life story basically right. we cherry pick bits and pieces that fit with the story that we were trying to tell but he's he's a great talker with some in really interesting thoughts about stuff and uh quite like to knock that up into, oh, a, into a half hour 45 minutes at some point I like, yeah. see that I, I sometime, to, yeah. brilliant um thanks very much daniel it's been brilliant thanks for thanks joining for me having today. me much appreciated so that's it from today's episode i've signed the board phil hope you enjoyed it um we'll be back with another episode in a few days time hopefully um you can follow us on twitter at at sign the board and the result of the um which is the best Dan, that we've had on the show today. Um, you know what? I can't decide between the three of them, so I'm going to put it on Twitter as a Twitter poll, and you, the listeners, can decide who your favourite Dan was today. Thanks for listening. Bye bye. <laughs>